0: the gestalt it rundown where each time we meet we run down the it news of the week with a variable degree of snarkiness and an inability to read cleanly i'm your host rich and joining me is my co-host coming from oklahoma the networking nerd himself tom hollingsworth welcome to the
1: show tom hello rich pleasure to be back
0: I don't know if you're comfortable with me disclosing your location. I don't know if you're in a, if you prefer like to be in a bunker, uh, in places unknown, parts unknown. Man of the world is, would that be preferable?
1: Well, it is the first day of spring, so in Oklahoma that means we basically do move into a bunker until July anyway.
0: <laughs> well, we got uh, like a half foot of snow, so uh, that was that was a fun way to start it in Cleveland. Uh, although not surprising in any way, we got a lot of cool news. Uh, I thought I would start out with an interesting study uh, that was showing up uh, or showing off some of the growth uh, that we were seeing on AWS with containers and serverless. Uh, they surveyed over 1,500 devs and they found that uh, container adoption on AWS grew 246 percent in Q4 after growing 204 percent the quarter before. Uh, Kubernetes is up to a 70 percent market share and. Okay, maybe that's not so surprising. They're kind of the gorilla in the room, uh, especially with a a lot of the larger players. Um, But seeing the growth from Q1 to Q4 in 2017 uh, increased from 45% to 70%. So, I mean, just completely surging. Um, Apache Mesos is in second place with 25%. They were the biggest uh, hits uh, in AWS. I think they had a 45% market share to start 2017. Uh, Also, serverless adoption uh, is just going crazy, Uh, grew 667% in Q4. I'm not sure if that's just from uh, Alex Ellis's work with OpenFast, but it may be, Uh, but it grew 321% the quarter before that. They're saying that this is largely uh, based on the growth in ML and AI uh, cloud-based applications, so I guess not all that surprising. But what is interesting to me is one of the conversations that always comes up whenever someone's talking about moving to the cloud, whether it be containers, serverless, uh, more traditional virtualization, is that this isn't just a something that can be a lift and shift operation, right? This needs to be cloud optimized. You can't just move your existing processes to the cloud and expect it to work. And that's kind of bearing out in this stat, uh, because while uh, overall CPU hours used on AWS, according to the survey, grew 84%, uh, they only saw a spend increase of 35%. So it seems to be a pretty well optimized uh, growth there. Um, And, uh, Tom, I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously not surprising that, hey, Kubernetes is popular, containers are popular. I think for me, the big thing is maybe the function uh, uh, or the serverless uh, uh, market is a little more nascent than we thought that we're seeing such crazy growth numbers right now.
1: Yeah, I think everybody had decided on using containers for their strategy going forward until Amazon was like, hey, why do you even need to do that? And so <laughs> people are starting to figure out how they're going to do that. And that kind of bears out, like you said, with the, the strategy shift. They're, they're using a lot of compute time. They're trying to use it as cheaply as possible, and so that means that they're actually they're building things correctly as opposed to, you know, the uh, the traditional IT migration method, which is get wherever you need to be as fast as you can, and then when you wind up there, look around and go, all right, now what?
0: <laughs> well, the uh, the other thing that I'm seeing here is, you know, when are we going to get to the point where we can just tell AWS like, hey, I want my database to just do that thing and uh, talk to these? Like, it seems like. The, the trend is we just don't want to deal with anything. We just want apps to work. And I'm just imagining they're going to have, um, I don't know if you ever use the app Audio Hijack to route audio on your Mac. But it basically just uses these little blocks. And you don't have to worry about drivers. You don't have to worry about anything. It's just like microphone, talk to mixer, which talks to levels, which then goes to a rate limiter and records. I, like, I feel like we're five years away from that on AWS is the next logical evolution.
1: You're right. But let's take another example, the electric company. I plug a thing into my wall and electricity comes out to make my thing go. You don't get any simpler than that. But there's still a huge infrastructure that runs the power grid behind that. Yeah, it's not enormous by any stretch of the imagination. And most of the time you see the people are working on power poles everywhere trying to, uh, you know, get uh, the service back up. But just because we're migrating somewhere where things are stupid simple doesn't mean we're going to need less people to make them that way.
0: Yeah, and you could argue that then it needs to be all that more reliable. You know, yeah. I, I think uh, we saw early last year some uh, fairly major AWS outages. And, you know, when when you literally have no other option and you're going, you know, maybe a completely serverless model um, and you you literally just have your code and uh, AWS portal, uh, that can be pretty scary. So I, I think, you know, the, the obligation on AWS maybe isn't to just mature these services in terms of abstraction, uh, but also to uh, alleviate some of those concerns about reliability. Yeah. All right. Next up, big thing. We we bid our fond farewell to the Broadcom Qualcomm uh, acquisition. It died. Um, the most bitter death possible, I think the, the least the least satisfying resolution we could have possibly imagined to it, but there's an interesting new wrinkle in that the recently demoted chairman of Qualcomm and son of the company's founder, Paul Jacobs, uh, has reportedly approached investors to buy out the company in a bid to take it private Michael Dell style uh, in response he's basically been completely ousted from the company uh, he was still on the board, and he has since been removed from that position. It gets a little dicey when we look into the numbers of if he's going to be able to pull this off it's going to require a ton of money. Uh, He only owns uh, less than a half a percent of the company in terms of stock ownership. Uh, It has evidently approached SoftBank uh, as part of the acquisition. Now, SoftBank has what I like to refer to as bags and bags of cash. Uh, Their, uh, uh, what is it, their future fund, or I'm trying to remember what it's called, their vision fund uh, has invested Tens, if not hundreds, of billions of dollars already this year. They've been super aggressive in uh, either getting stakes in companies or all-out acquisitions. So they theoretically have the capital. Uh, the question is, one, uh, if you know, an ousted board chairman uh, is going to be able to, you know, kind of make that pitch to them, uh, and if they could see similar success that Dell has been able to do, kind of being outside of public scrutiny and being able to be, you know, maybe a little bit more aggressive uh, in terms of. Uh, not necessarily having to focus on earnings, maybe focusing more on R&D or, or just taking taking more swings than you could as a public company. That's a whole nother question. The other question is Qualcomm is an investor in SoftBank's Vision Fund. So it raises all sorts of weird questions when it comes to foreign investments, which scuttled the original Broadcom-Qualcomm merger. Tom, can the Qualcomm seemingly emulate uh, Dell EMC's success uh, or, or – uh, perceived success, perceived turnaround, perhaps is a better way of putting it, by going private?
1: No, there's <laughs> no reason for this to happen. All right, kids, if you're watching at home, grab a notebook. I'm about to give you some finance secrets. There are two reasons why a company wants to be taken private. One, they want to split the company up and sell off every piece they can to make a small fortune. Two, the guy doing it is going to sell his services to the company to take them private and make a small fortune and then make a large fortune whenever they go public again a few years later. See also Michael Dell and Silver Lake Capital. This is pointless. There is no reason for them to go private. This is somebody who's trying to wrest control of the company back after getting his butt kicked off the board, out of the room, and out of the building. And the only way that he can do it is to basically offer up the Qualcomm as a, a, a prize goose to whoever has the most money And all they're looking to do is dismember it into a thousand component parts and sell a couple of them to Broadcom and a couple of them over here and a couple of them over there. And honestly, the best case scenario that you're going to end up with if this happens is the Toys R Us model, which is we're going to take on enough debt to sink an ocean continent and then we're eventually going to die off anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I could see it if the narrative around Qualcomm was more like this is a bloated behemoth and they have some great core IP, but you know, they're weighed down by all these legacy concerns. A la, maybe like an HP uh going, you know, splitting off into HP, that kind of thing. But you know, Qualcomm is competitive across a variety of markets, across a variety of industries, and you know, I, still seen as as I, I don't want to say agile, because they are a giant company, but they're not this legacy gorilla that's that's dying under the weight of, of you know, of that legacy. So, yeah, I, I, I don't see one, the, the narrative that would allow him to convince enough investors uh, to make this happen. But I, I just thought we had to give, you know, Qualcomm just one more crazy shot since Intel is not going to buy Broadcom, which is going to buy Qualcomm anymore. Hopefully the last of uh, the lunacy uh, we shall see. Uh, In much more sane news, Uh, we've seen a lot more details about Windows Server 2019, uh, talking about business as usual. Um, One of the big features, kind of going back to the AWS thing, is uh, full-on support for Kubernetes uh, kind of running on top of Windows Server right now in Windows Server 2016. That's only available in a beta, and it's... You know, are, you know, it's a beta. It's in work. It's a work in progress uh, for 2019. It's going to be fully baked in. Uh, it's going to be better optimized for compute storage and networking clusters. Uh, we'll also have support for Linux workloads inside a, uh, shielded virtual machines, have a smaller disk image, and, of course, have tons and tons of hooks into – potential hooks into Azure services. Uh, Tom, any surprises in this, uh, you know, Windows Server 2019 announcement? I guess the biggest surprise for me is that – we're seeing when it's Windows Server 2019. I'm surprised that Microsoft hasn't rolled into you know, uh, a la Windows 10, more of a uh, a service model for this.
1: Well, the, it it makes more sense to do it that way because the enterprise is always trying to uh, land on certain years. They're they're planning out, and if the year matches the year that you want to buy an upgrade or something like that, you know, why not? Let's go for it. Um, it, you can kind of see the 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 for the coming to fruition of Nadella's um vision here this is not a behemoth monolith that you know sits off in the corner and provides directory services this feels agile and important and like you said it hooks into azure so you know platform as a service is not dead in redmond and this is huge (laughs) for them this is this is basically a gateway to getting people to move their workloads off of on-premises devices and into the cloud i mean if it's running in kubernetes anyway what's the difference between if it runs here, or if it runs in Azure. And if I'm going to give the ability to literally live migrate between those two, which it kind of sounds like they will. I mean, you're, you're basically one, one OS release away from it just being, you know, windows server, Azure, and that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like for those weird, uh, those weird legacy uh, workloads, anything, anything that seemed missing from this. I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree that the, you know, the Satya mania is alive. Well, what the other thing that really surprised me about this is uh, it's available for insider preview like today, and they're going to planning on releasing it in it the second half of some kind of release of it in the second half of 2018. So, you know, kind of aggressive from, you know, kind of hearing about these major features it seemed like for the first time in my research, this is the first I was seeing uh, of these any kind of announcements. So anything, any major checkbox missing from this, it, it all seems to make sense to me.
1: It, 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 it's, it's a vision. It's, it's a feature complete vision at this point. There's, they're not missing anything because what do people use Windows servers for anymore? But I mean, literally other than Active Directory, I think that's it. They're, <laughs> they're, they're not doing anything else with them. If if their applications aren't already running in the cloud, I mean, you're probably running some kind of old um, gradebook application or some stupid uh, uh, time matters program that, you know, requires a very specific version of Java to even launch. So this is this is kind of like if you were not looking at the handwriting on the wall and seeing where this is headed, you probably need to get out of I.T.
0: It is interesting that and I completely agree with you that, yeah, there there this is a maintain release. Right. This is like, mm-hmm. OK, you don't need to. Lose Windows Server. You can upgrade to this. Everything that everything that you want to move to is going to be supported on this platform. But there is, you're absolutely right. There's nothing to draw you in to be like, mm-hmm. oh, I have to switch to win, you know, to Windows Server. So that is very interesting.
1: Yeah, this is a toolbox for you to get what you had to where you need to be before we yank the rug out from underneath you in three years.
0: Well, and that maybe speaks to you know my earlier comment about moving to more of a service model. Well, it's mm-hmm. to transition to Azure, which is the service model.
1: Yeah, everybody had a stopgap uh, version of their operating system to get where they wanted to be. Anybody out there that remembers Windows Millennium will probably A, be cringing when I said that name, and B, realize that it was basically a testing platform for everything that came in Windows XP.
0: (laughs) Uh, Including... Terrible, terrible security.
1: All right. Uh, we had a response from uh, uh,
0: AMD regarding some of the security exploits that were released by CTS Labs last week. We talked about those. Uh, an, a number of concerning uh, vulnerabilities, but as we said, they were, it kind of required you to own the machine anyway to really, really take advantage of them. And that's basically the gist of AMD's response. Uh, they said that all the exploits required uh, admin on metal access. Uh, they have plans to patch them in the coming weeks. Uh, you know, they were, they were pitching it in, the, in, in terms of weeks, not months. Uh, it's going to be via BIOS and firmware updates that won't necessarily they, – they're saying won't impact performance, unlike Spectre Meltdown uh, kind of patches that we saw earlier this year. Uh, and there is nothing on there that's inherent in the Zen architecture. As we stated, a lot of this had to do with some of the secure Enclave uh, stuff that they were that were actually running on ARM coprocessors uh, uh, on the platform. So this, a lot of it uh, – one specifically was – a undocumented backdoor from uh, from one of the companies that they were working with on the platform. So kind of scary. It's it sounds like essentially scary sounding, not that big of a deal. I, and they probably seems like would have had this patch if they were actually giving more than 24 hours notice, uh, maybe more of the 60 day that's considered the industry standard. But, you know, CTS Labs got their name out there. They got some coverage on an Antech. Uh, so I think their mission is accomplished. Right
1: yeah pretty much this is this this is the technology version of the got your nose trick um, <laughs> it only works on five-year-olds and as long as there's nobody around to explain exactly how it works you look like a magician and then when someone shows up and goes you're just holding your thumb and your fingers now all of a sudden the magic is ruined so yeah cts labs they 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 got out there because they figured out how to exploit bios on a machine I, I, I in, <laughs> in
0: in all honesty um I'm I'm curious if like the FTC will investigate them for stock manipulation. Like it would be really weird if it if it turns out they're huge stockholders and all of a sudden dump this on AMD because that's really all this did, right? I'm sure mm-hmm. if, if we look back on uh, you know on their stock price, there was a one-day dip. Uh they had the response out, everything's going to be fine, don't worry, this is not Spectre 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever we're calling it now. Um so it, it does seem a little shady in that regard. Yep. Uh good old technology. And finally, uh, something a little uh, ostensibly on the maybe altruistic, uh, uh, scale here. Uh, we, uh, we, there was a new story out there that Facebook is donating its scale out network architecture called fabric aggregation layer to the open compute project. Uh, the fabric was developed to make it easier and less expensive to link multiple server buildings within a given, uh, overall compute region, uh, using a series of custom wedge 100 switches, which uh, Facebook developed themselves. I'm not sure if it, if it, the, the fabric itself is flexible enough to accommodate other switches. But Tom, as the networking nerd, uh, how big of a deal is this? and Or is this just kind of a, a cool, nice thing?
1: Well, it's nice that Facebook donated this to OCP because they've been doing that a lot recently. Um, they donated the wedge switch design, they donated FBOSS. Really, the idea is they want to drive adoption. And it's hard to drive adoption when you basically say, well, we use it in Facebook because we're awesome <laughs> and we're Facebook, and you don't let anybody else get a peek at it. But um, Greg Farrow told me, that's yeah, probably been a couple years ago, and it really does kind of help drive my, my decision-making around Facebook. Yeah, there's a little bit of altruism in Facebook. In fact, it could fill the very bottom of a shot glass. Um, <laughs> the rest of it, on the other hand, is all about trying to get people to start buying devices, buying components to put these things together. Because here's the deal. <laughs> if all the pieces that build a wedge switch are the same, and Facebook is the only person buying them, you know, it's kind of like the Apple iPhone thing. If you're the only person buying parts for an iPhone, they can charge you whatever you want because you don't really have an option. But if you use a custom or you use an off-the-shelf component that anybody can get a hold of, the price gets driven through the floor because everybody wants to buy them, especially when you tell people, well, this is what we use in the iPhone. So this is what Facebook's trying to do. They release the designs and they say, hey, use our thing because it's awesome. And then everybody goes and uses it. And then Facebook goes back to their manufacturers and go, look. We help you sell 4 million more of these. We want to break 3 cents off of each part. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a whole lot unless you're buying a, a, you know, a dump truck full of them, in which case you're actually going to save a little bit of money. Now the flip side of this is and to, to say something a little bit more on your point of uh, the fabric and whether or not it integrates with any other things. The answer is no. You know why? Facebook is really awesome at building networks that only have four devices in them. Yeah. You know, a wedge, a wedge, 100, some kind of customized wedge, and a NetFlow collector and and yeah it, it reminds me of apple hardware back in the day yeah apple hardware is stable and never crashes well yeah if you only have to write device drivers for four things in the world you can write a pretty tight device driver if you're having to write device drivers in windows for every piece of crap hardware that comes from every manufacturer in the world you can't always get it right so yeah if your ecosystem is necessarily small things are going to run the way you want them to because you have a very predictable output set. Look at OpenR. OpenR is a perfect good example of what happens when you write a routing protocol that only runs on four devices. Yeah, it's going to work. Who cares how big the message bus is?
0: Yeah, that is interesting because there, there is a little bit of this trend. I, I think everyone is so fascinated by kind of the hyperscale phenomenon in it that the, you know, these giant companies can operate at such startling efficiency. And th- there's all sorts of talk of, you know, how do you emulate that? How do you serviceify that and bring it to, to a smaller enterprise? And the, the problem with that generally becomes, yeah, it, it, like to your point, it's because these companies have super specific needs. So they've stripped away everything else and they can write, you know, they can write uh, a, a software, you know, they can make it a software-defined product. They can make it a dedicated hardware product, and they can do those, you know, again, four or five things super efficiently because they don't—they don't need to—they don't need to be broad. They don't need to be a general-purpose solution that an enterprise, you know, theoretically could need. Um, and those kinds of solutions, you know, might be useful to a very small subset of a of an enterprise's business. But it's not going to justify the cost to develop it uh, or even maybe to adopt, you know, something that Facebook is already doing. I mean, how many how many enterprises are building, you know, server regions that need that have multiple server buildings uh, that are going to be needing the switch output? So, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm maybe on the slightly less cynical side, but the applicability of this, you know, it, it seems uh, it seems just uh, not there quite yet. So, um so, I mean, very cool. Like I said, cool that they're donating it to OCP. I think OCP is, you know, I, I wish I could get out there to the OCP summit this year. I know that's happening uh, uh, today. But uh, lots of always lots of fun ideas out there, but I uh, don't know how practical this is.
1: Just remember, if you're an enterprise that's looking to adopt, whether it be the, the fabric or the wedge or what have you, remember that you are the busiest IT person in the world because you're constantly fighting fires. Facebook has an engineering team bigger than your entire company dedicated to what color the eyes on the smiley faces are in the like button.
0: (laughs) And they're doing a bang up job. All right, that just about does it for the Gestalt IT Rundown. Thank you so much for watching, listening, consuming in whichever way you can. Uh, We were a little late today. Ordinarily, we start at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We started at 2 o'clock today, but we appreciate everyone watching. Uh, Remember, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. We post all of these on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, which is how you are watching it right now if you're watching live. And at Gestalt IT on Twitter. And new announcement. Uh, We had some requests for making this into a podcast feed, so I have put that together. If you search for Gestalt IT Rundown, uh, you can find that in your podcatcher of choice. I think we're still working on getting onto uh, Google Play uh, music or whatever the Google Play podcast catcher is, but we're on iTunes uh, and most of the other major services, and we'll be on Google uh, pretty soon as well. So check that out, rate and review, like, and uh, also subscribe to the On Premise IT Roundtable, which is a little bit more of our evergreen show, tackling one big
1: topic per episode. Uh, Tom, where can people find more of your great work? Well, you can find me at networkingnerd.net. Is my blog? Twitter handle is at is at networking nerd. Um, I'm sure I got networking nerd on Orca somewhere. <laughs> if you're still on there. So, French, cool. it, so
0: if you're in Brazil, it's a really big deal.
1: See. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. And uh, you can find my stuff uh, on uh, Twitter at Mr. Anthropology, Mr anthropology at gestalt, it.com. And uh, I'm pretty much at Mr. Anthropology on most social media platforms. So there you go. Uh, like I said, we'll be back next Wednesday, 1230 PM Eastern time until then have a super, Sparkly day.